Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. The aim of the game here is to try and understand what is happening in the world from a Christian perspective, to see what light the Bible can shed on these troubled times that we're going through. We've been focusing a lot on the lockdowns, but also on lots of other issues which are affecting society at the moment. I do hope that you enjoy it. Don't forget to subscribe if you like it. And you can also sign up on Telegram, t.me forward slash philsaker, and the link will be in the show notes, where there will also be links to the articles and things mentioned in the podcast, anything that's relevant. Now, on with the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to Sacred Musings with me, Phil Saker. It's the 11th of November 2021, it's Remembrance Day. And at the end of this, I will be doing a short reflection on remembrance um, and just tying it into the the current situation. But um, the main thing I wanted to focus on in the podcast today, this is Sacred Musings podcast episode 11, is um, why it is that the the lockdown sceptical case seems to have still seems to have so little traction in people's minds. You know, why is it that, um, just, you know, as I mentioned last week, it's still got to the point where people think it's almost unchristian to even voice concerns um, about what's going on in the lockdown. Now, I'm, I'm sure many of you will have had this experience over the last 18 months or so that you've been talking to friends and family, and you've just it's like being talking to a wall at times you know you try and quote statistics you try and quote experts and so on but it's like this just impervious wall comes up it's like oh no no you know can't question it that's just the wrong thing to do um and you know there's just no way of getting through why is that the case well that's what i wanted to look at in this podcast today so let's uh, let's get straight on with that. And uh, once again, I've got a little presentation to show. But if you're listening on the podcast again, um, this won't. I hope this will all make sense um, without it. It's just to guide me through, really, rather than rather than you, um, and just be something to look at rather than my face. Because to be honest, I mean, no one wants to look at that really. Um, so there we go. Um, and yeah, if you're watching on YouTube and you prefer the podcast, by the way, the link is down below. If you'd like to listen to the audio only version. So let's get on with it. Okay, okay, so here we are. Um, why is it that so many people believe in the COVID narrative? I don't know why I did that there. Um, why do people still believe in the COVID narrative? Well, um, I'm going to try and rattle through this a bit more quickly. Um, this is um, quoted from an article on the Daily Skeptic. It was actually published back in January. Um, and um, this is, uh, oh, is it, oh, I can't remember the name of the chap now, actually. I'm very sorry. It was Toby Young quoted it in his article on The Spectator about this. I am an academic, somebody who discusses ideas and encourages students to investigate and debate facts for a living. So this has been a very bitter pill for me to swallow indeed, but the reality is that most people are just not actually interested in finding out the truth for themselves they are much more interested in conforming with what they perceive to be what one could call the moral truth, the prevailing moral norm. The prevailing moral norm of 2020 is lockdowns are the ethically right thing to do because they keep vulnerable safe uh, from dying, the vulnerable safe from dying. To argue against that moral norm is, by definition, both immoral and abnormal. This is the most salient factor in governing behaviour in our society right now. So I think this is David McGrowan, um, um, something like that. I'm very sorry. Um, but yeah, this is 
basically saying that there is a moral norm created and it's very difficult for most people to go against that, that people don't reason themselves into positions, they they feel what the norm is and then they, they rationalise it. Um, and this is something that we know from science about rationalising about um, cognitive dissonance and so on. This is how this is how most people work. How is that moral norm created? Um, well, I think it's because, and if you look behind what you know the, the moral norm, I think it's because people are trusting in institutions such as the government and the BBC or the mainstream media and so on, rather than in their own individual reason as we just saw, or in um, any individual expert. So if you quote a scientist who's saying something different to what the government or the BBC are saying, then people won't won't take the scientist seriously, even though they may be eminently qualified if they're contradicting what is being seems to be being said by, by the majority, by the institutions. Uh, I said, is that the primary differentiator between sceptics and non-sceptics? I, I do wonder, actually, whether this is this is the primary thing, that whether, you know, sceptics tend to be people who distrust institutions, whereas those who believe in, in all of the COVID narrative, to varying degrees, are people who are more trusting in those institutions. Um, so that's what I wanted to look at, really. I wanted to explore our faith in, in institutions, as it does seem to me, um, I've got a picture up here, by the way, of 1984, um, about the mainstream narrative. He's saying, this is why I don't listen to BBC News anymore. Because any time I, I just, sometimes when I'm in the car, I listen to Radio 2. And sometimes the news comes on. And it's, it's like, when you listen to the news on the BBC, it's like stepping into a parallel universe, I think. It's like that the only thing that they talk about is whether restrictions are necessary because of rising case numbers or something. They don't look into all of the angles on it. They don't say, well, where are people getting infected? Are people getting infected in the hospitals? How can we help hospital, you know, um, the, the, the disease to stop spreading in hospitals? Uh, is it community spread? Well, maybe not. I mean, why why are people who are vaccinated getting infected? Um, um, I mean, there are just a, a million different angles which you will not hear being discussed on the BBC or by and large on the mainstream media i have heard a few little glimmers i remember listening to the jeremy vine show one time on B on the bbc and they had he had on uh, sunetra gupta who was debating with uh, with someone else um but by and large um it, it's like that the narrative is only one way and i can well see why someone who only listens to the BBC or to the mainstream media has a particular view about lockdowns, how important and necessary they are. Because whenever you turn on the TV or the radio, that's what you're told. You know, and that's what every expert on the TV seems to be saying. And so this is why I think the, for example, the Great Barrington Declaration has been treated so badly by the mainstream media, even ignored. Um, I've got a little picture up there of uh, Martin Kuldorf and Sunetra Gupta and Jay Bhattacharya, um, who are distinguished public health experts, epidemiologists from three of the world's top universities, Oxford, Stanford and Harvard. And yet, there's been very little real engagement with what they tried to say back in October when they released uh, October 2020, 
when they released the Great Barrington Declaration. It hasn't really properly been discussed by the BBC. There was very little coverage on the BBC, I think, of this. Um, it was dismissed in Parliament by Matt Hancock. I think it was Matt Hancock at the time, who just gave two brief reasons why it was all wrong and didn't really engage with the substance of what they were saying or give them an opportunity to respond. And um, you just think, how on earth can these people, given that they, they will be eminently qualified to be on SAGE or whatever, you know, their opinion should carry as much weight as Neil Ferguson, probably more, um, you know, given Neil Ferguson's uh, and his team's sort of failed predictions. But why is that? And and um, it's because they're not in the mainstream. It's because they, they go against this institutional um, narrative. So what I'd like to do is just think about whether we can trust the institutions, whether these institutions are actually trustworthy. And I would like to talk about just my own personal story, really, about how I lost faith in the institutions. And if you're watching on, on the YouTube, you can see... I've got a picture up there of the BBC and and the an EU flag about you know, about Brexit, and really that was I think the last few years since 2016 the EU referendum, that has been the time the last five years when I have really completely and utterly lost faith in our institutions to actually uphold the you know democracy and uphold um, the the best interests of the British people. I think since the, the referendum, I think it exposed what was really going on in British politics and in uh, much of the media. And why was it, for example, that although the country was pretty evenly split about Brexit, most politicians and most people in the media were very pro-Remain? Why, why should that be the case? And after the referendum, it was there was this just absolute wave of abuse and hatred towards mostly working class people you know the low low information xenophobic racist little englanders who voted the wrong way and um and i just thought it, that's absolutely disgusting you know that 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 um that the the media and even in government people should be thinking this way so i've got a picture there um of um, a group of people, the Lib, the Lib Dem, standing in yellow T-shirts with slogans on their T-shirts saying "Stop Brexit," and that's just par for the course. And although they were, that was the Lib Dems were quite extreme. I think a lot of MPs had similar thoughts, and they did spend the majority of those four years after the referendum trying to do everything that they could to overturn um, the Brexit result. Really, there were many people who used their power and influence. John Burkow. John Burkow, John Burko, the Speaker of the House, um, was you know, was terrible um, in some of the things that, that he did. Um, and sometimes the mask slips. You know, that they, um, you remember Emily, Emily Thornberry, I think this was actually before the referendum, but she posted up on Twitter a, uh, a picture of a, a man, a house with a white van outside with three um, St George's Cross flags outside and in a very scornful and derogatory way and um, you know it, it, you just think again is this someone who really cares about democracy or are these people pouring scorn on mostly working class folks who are patriotic who are proud of their country um, and you know who just want the best for the, for the place where we live um, 
Actually, David Goodhart's book, The Road to Somewhere, really helped me to understand something of what was going on here. Um, if you just, I, I should have mentioned that, but that's a little recommendation. If you've not read that book, The Road to Somewhere by David Goodhart, really good read about how we got here. Um, and and so it's no surprise that, um, as I put the head, headline, uh, Labour's Red Wall Demolished by Tory Onslaught, of course, 2019 election, um, the Tories were the only party who said we get Brexit done. And so I think that's why the Red Wall collapsed, because people saw that they were the only party, viable party, who were um, claiming to take the voices of ordinary working class people seriously and to, to actually do what people asked, which is to to get Brexit done. You know, the biggest democratic mandate in British history, 17.4 million votes. Um, that And um, yeah, people voted in that election and that's how they ended up with the majority, uh, I think. Um, but this has opened my eyes to um, how the government seems to work, which is it's really not working for the best best interests of the people, or at least they have to be forced to. You know, I think in the case of the referendum and then the and then the elections, it does seem like they were um, their hand was forced really when it came to um, to, to working because that was that's how democracy works. Um, so uh, so yeah, we'll come. We might come back to that in a minute. So that's that's the government, but. You might think, well, surely we can trust the BBC, you know, the good old BBC. The, they've got impartiality in their charter. They seek to be impartial. And, you know, surely we can trust them to just give us the facts. Well, sadly, again, I think the BBC is another institution which we just can't trust anymore. Um, not completely. Um, so Robin Aitken, for example, uh, Robin Aitken is a former BBC journalist and he's written about this uh, several times, but he wrote a book last year called The Noble Liar, with the subtitle How and Why the BBC Distorts the News to Promote a Liberal Agenda. And also you can find interviews with him on YouTube. He was interviewed, for example, on the New Culture Forum with Peter Whittle, um, BBC Bias, Distorting the Truth. Um, but this is, um, again, you know, he, he says that the BBC do not fairly cover issues which ordinary people care about things like immigration you know it's always covered from a very you know more sort of left-wing open borders kind of perspective they just don't give a fair hearing to to people with a more conservative view and it's the same with things like brexit you know whenever there was a panel about brexit on the bbc it would always be you know you might get one token brexiter but almost always all of the people on the panel were pro remain and you know it will be there was a, a big bias in in that respect and remember question time got, um got got slated i think um for for this kind of thing uh, but it's just all over and you know i do appreciate i don't think the bbc are deliberately trying to to be like this and, I, and robin aitken makes this point but i think that the you know when you when you draw people from a particular class especially graduates and the bbc now is a sort of graduate uh, thing you have to be a graduate to work for the bbc then you are drawn generally from the same social class and you tend to have the same kind of ideas and i think you know as we know now universities tend to be churning out people who have very similar political views 
Um, so this is what's happening. Can we trust the BBC? I don't think we can trust the BBC because, it, you know, the, the government, the BBC, they're kind of in cahoots, really, trying to promote a, a particular particular view. I don't I don't I certainly would not say the BBC was independent enough of the government to criticize the government. Um so that's the BBC but what about Big Pharma? Surely we can trust Big Pharma. Um I have to laugh stop myself laughing as I say that because you know it's it's so patently ridiculous. If you look I've got there the top 10 um fines which have been issued to, um, to these big drug companies. GlaxoSmithKline is the biggest number of penalties, $3 billion in 2012. The second biggest is Pfizer, $2.3 billion, and that was in 2009. Let me just read you a, a short, short um, extract about what it was about. The criminal fine was $1.3 billion, and the additional $1 billion was for civil allegations under the False Claims Act. Pfizer falsely promoted Bextra, antipsychotic drug Geodin, antibiotic Zyvox, and anti-epileptic Lyrica. The company was also accused of paying kickbacks related to these drugs and submitting false claims to government healthcare programs based on uses that weren't medically accepted. Bextra was pulled from the market in 2005 after it was deemed unsafe. So Pfizer, who the jab their jab for COVID has just been approved, I think, for even younger children, um, has been fined, it was fined recently, 2.3 billion for making up things and for, you know, falsifying things to health health officials and so on. Um, and they've been caught doing it even with the COVID vaccine. This is the thing in the BMJ, the British Medical Journal, just recently, um, a week or two ago, um, there was, it says, a researcher, COVID-19, researcher blows the whistle on data integrity issues in Pfizer's vaccine trial. So even recently with the COVID vaccines, Pfizer have been caught doing this. Can we trust Big Pharma with our health? Can we trust them to be doing what is best for us? A few years ago, I read an article about the, tra- the issue about transgender. And it was fascinating, actually, but it was sort of from a perspective of follow the money. You know, that if you follow the money, then these it's actually these big drug companies who are putting money into the kind of the transgender lobby, because when you when you make um, a young person transgender, you've got someone for life, you know, because they've got to be on hormones. They've got to be on tablets for life. Um, So they've got a financial interest in it. And similarly, you know, the big farm have got links with our government. If you look at Sage, then many of the members of Sage have got ties into Big Pharma. You know, Patrick Valance and others, Chris Whitty, have got shares in, you know, um, in these companies. So it's it's just, they're all in bed with each other. Can we trust them? Um, and, again, you know, finally, surely we can trust Big Tech. Oh, you know, they're just on our side, aren't they? Um, well, again, you know, I've just got a little picture there. False information checked by independent fact checkers. And, you know, full fact it fights bad information. They're independent fact-checkers and campaigners who find, expose, and counter the harm it does. Um, if you look at full fact, actually, it's funded. The biggest donor is Facebook. And Google also donate and WhatsApp. Um, so, yeah, um, again, they're all in bed with each other. You know, they're not, they're not actually looking at the truth. They're checking the consensus against, you know, this narrative 
rather than actually you know independently trying to check the actual facts so we can't trust big tech we can't trust big pharma we can't trust our in you know some of our most trusted institutions like the bbc and even the government none of them are are really completely trustworthy so in summary this is where we are i think and this is why it is that that people have not believed in the lockdown skeptical view which is I think the majority of people seem to have implicit faith in our institutions to tell the truth when it comes to public health. I think anyone who contradicts the official narrative is therefore seen as an outsider, some kind of conspiracy theorist. Um, however, over time, especially over recent years, our institutions have proved themselves to be unreliable. And I just put the question there, are our institutions more interested in propping up themselves and bolstering their own power rather than the interests of those they serve? And it seems to me that this is the case. And I find it difficult to, to understand how anyone could see what the government and what you know the mainstream media have been doing and, and trust them with anything really, let alone with, with public health certainly to treat everything that they say with a healthy degree of scepticism. So how should Christians see our uh, institutions? And I think this is, um, this is where I think the Christian view is actually quite healthy because it's, it's not all negative and it's not all positive. So I think there is a positive. It said we should treat these institution with, with institutions with respect. So this is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. So the problem here is that um, Peter was, that Peter was writing about was people were yeah, living as free people and you know playing um, not not respecting the emperor at all. And Peter says no 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 that's wrong. That actually, you know, living as God's slave means respecting the the institutions that God has put there, including the emperor. And, you know, so we should, as Christians, we should be good citizens, that we should respect the authorities that God has put in place, that that's actually, that's right. And, you know, we should honour honor the emperor, as it were, as, as, as Peter says there. However, honouring the emperor also means we should be prepared to um, to call out when they do something wrong. I think that's that's the Christian way of respecting someone is when we when we think that they're going down a wrong path, then you know we should give them the dignity of, of, of knowing that they're made in the image of God and they know what they're doing is wrong and that they should be called to repentance. So respecting doesn't necessarily mean you know obeying uncritically. And coupled together with the, the second point here that I've got, how, how should we see institutions, how should Christians see institutions, secondly, with suspicion. So let me just read you one more quote here. This is from Romans chapter 3, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, assembles a litany of quotes um, about human nature. 
This is what he says. And these are all quotes taken from the Old Testament. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I think those are mostly taken from from the Psalms, um, those quotations. But it just goes to show that human nature is corrupt. And that's the point of what, what Paul is saying, that all of us share in that corruption of our nature. And so when we think about institutions, what we need to understand is they, our institutions, are comprised of sinful people just like us. Being an institution does not actually give you the ability to do right and to kind of, you know, to, to overcome that in, 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 inherently. And actually, that's why democracy has kind of evolved in the way that it has in, in this country, because, you know, we don't trust our leaders that we don't want to give them unfettered power. And we were looking at this a little bit last week because absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's a very Christian idea. And this is where we need to keep coming back to, that we need to remember all of our institutions are comprised of flawed people. The government, the media, everything. They all have biases. They all have flaws. And so we do need to treat everything that they say with a healthy degree of scepticism. We need to treat them with respect. But because we treat them with respect, we need to really listen to what they say and and hold up, hold it up against the truth. And to kind of to seek out the truth, to be able to, you know, I guess to, to make the truth kind of truly democratic. Uh, I think I saw on, on Twitter someone yesterday said, if you have to believe it, then it's not science. It's it's coercion. And if it can't be questioned, it's not science. And I think this is the thing. If, if the government had tried to persuade us about wearing masks by producing good scientific evidence, then that that would have been fine. But as it was, they just said, no, you have to. Without, you know, we're not going to show you the evidence. And actually, if you look at Transport for London and so on, they admitted recently, um, this was the news on the Daily Skeptic website, that there isn't any evidence that they actually based it on. It's just on opinion surveys and so on. It's not actually based on scientific evidence. Um, and it, it, this is entirely the case over the last 18 months in so many ways. Um, and so, you know, we should be prepared to you know to question and that's a very christian way as well i think to be prepared to question what our leaders say and to be prepared to seek the truth and to think well they might be wrong rather than believing something because the government say it or because the bbc say it we should be prepared i think to to question and to say well i'm i'm not sure about that you know let's look into the evidence and let's um you know let let's kind of um uh yeah, get to the truth. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that this has really been a quite a, a short um, overview. If, if you're interested, I'm, I recommended this last week as well, but I'm going to recommend it one more time because I think it's it was so good. The interview that on the Irreverent podcast with uh, Reverend Dr. Joe Boot from the Ezra Institute, I think that was fantastic. 
um, but just in terms of teasing out those relationships between the church and the state. And particularly, I think, thinking about the limitations of state power. You know, what, what God has properly put the state there, the government there, to do and, and not do. And, and, you know, what do we do when they overstep the bounds of the authority that God has, has given to them? Um, I think that was a really helpful institute, uh, uh, institute really helpful uh, interview. And uh, I've actually subscribed to the Ezra Institute uh, podcast as well. Um, and um, yeah, that, that looks really, really good too. So um, yeah, do have a look at that and do be thinking, do let me know what you think in the, the comments below. Perhaps, you know, just think, is this something that you've experienced as well? You know, when you've been talking to people, is that, is it that, you know, people just are unwilling to question the institutions? And why is that? Why do people have so much kind of faith and trust in those institutions? Um, because I think that's what, that's what needs to, to change if we are going to make progress. We need to break in some way that, that kind of implicit faith in institutions that, that they are telling the truth. And we need, you know, people to be able to see and think about what the truth is uh, for themselves and, you know, look at the evidence, look at what other experts say and so on. Rather than the kind of very curated view which the BBC and so on give out. So anyway, that's that's my view. Um, let me know what you think in the comments. But uh, let's move on now to think about our sort of biblical uh, reflection. So I'd just like to finish with a little reflection about remembrance because it is Remembrance Day today and um, obviously that's remembrance is the, the day that we often think about these very famous words from Jesus which is uh, John chapter 15 verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And we remember the great sacrifice that many um, men and women made back in the, the Great War and the Second World War and in conflicts throughout. Uh, we remember how they gave their lives for our freedoms and we are grateful. And I think it's, you know, I, I always think Remembrance Day is a very sombre day. It's a very moving day to think that, you know, all of the people who made the ultimate sacrifice for us and of course, you know, thinking about Jesus's sacrifice as a Christian, I think that's such an important thing to remember as it, it's you know, when we think about the way that God, um, you know, would send the, the Lord Jesus to die for us is a huge, huge thing in speaking about how much he loves us. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it just got me thinking about the way that I think this has been almost turned around in the lockdown and, and COVID uh, situation. Um, my wife was having um, a conversation uh, with her parents the other day and you know they they are getting their um, their booster jabs and it's because they believe it's the right thing to do to help protect other people. I don't think they're so concerned about themselves but they want to try and, and do it to protect other people. And that's been the way that all the way through this, um, the last 18 months or so, then it's been entirely about protecting others. You know, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. It's been pitched as, you know, you love others by, by doing this, by staying at home, by getting the jab, by, you know, it's not about protecting you, it's about protecting others, it's about you protecting others. And it's, it's almost like a parody 
I think of, of remembrance of, of this verse. It's saying, no, it's saying you must love others by we will force you to lay your life down to protect others. You know, you, it's not yours to give. We will take it by force and you you will you will lay your life down. And I, I think where is the honour and valour in you know being being compelled? You know, where is the love? If it's not done freely and without compulsion, then it's not love, is it? And 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 this is just what, what it made me think, you know, that back in the Second World War, for example, all of those the millions who died, you know, they did it because they believed that they were fighting for what was right. And, you know, when um, when Churchill gave his you know, obviously those speeches about you know fight them on the beaches we'll we'll never surrender and you know we we believe that we were fighting for right for what was a um, a righteous battle you know it was for love it was because we knew that whatever was um, you know that the Nazi regime was evil and that's why uh, we were fighting and you know it it did kind of inspire something I think in in many people that this desire to do what was right this desire to you know to to fight for righteousness fight for the fight for the truth fight against this sort of evil regime and yet you know today it's um, what we are fighting against is a virus which the vast majority of people survive and even older people and you know yet we are told that we need to sacrifice and we need to love others by giving up you know um, giving up seeing other people, giving you know, giving up everything. Um, sometimes even our lives. If you think about you know, the 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 the, um, uh, the people who've actually been killed by the vaccines, uh, and that's all out of love for others. And I just think it's such a horrible and bizarre distortion of love, and how you know love should be free and uncoerced. Love should come out of wanting to do what's right for one's neighbour and believing that you're doing the right thing rather than doing it just because someone tells you that's the right thing to do and you just need to do it or else. Um, and yeah, I, I just think how far we've fallen as a nation when, you know, we are told now that, you know, getting a booster shot, staying at home, that that is loving others and that is the right thing to do. When it, it seems to me that at very best, you can say those things are questionable, and in fact, I think those things are quite false. Um, that I think, you know, that the truth is much more. Um, it, sometimes it might be the right time not to see someone, uh, but I think so much of the time, the loving and right thing to do is actually, you know, to be a blessing and, and to go and see someone else to spend time with them. Um, you know, given given the uh, uh, yeah, and and take a kind of right appraisal of the risks. Um, Anyway, uh, that's kind of something which I've talked about before. But yes, how far we've fallen as a nation when, you know, not seeing someone and getting a booster, this is what love is, rather than voluntarily laying one's life down. And I think that, that just came to me um, this Remembrance Day more than it has before. So let's give thanks for those who actually laid their lives down um, for others, who made that sacrifice. Let's give thanks for Jesus and, and, and let's let's learn from his example. You know, let's um, let's say we want we do want to be people who lay our lives down for others, but we want to be 
to be doing that, not under compulsion, but out of a genuine sense of love. And we want to do that in the right ways, not be compelled and coerced into to doing that in ways which the government only approve of. So uh, let's, uh, let's pray as we come to a close um, today. And um, yeah, we'll ask, ask God to help us to, to do that. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to have a right view of our institutions, to be respectful, but also to, to, um, to, to be able to question and to be able to be rightly sceptical um, and to hold everything up in the light of your truth. And we pray that you would help us to be people who honour those who did make the ultimate sacrifice for us. And we pray that you would help us to be those who are um, able to love others enough to lay down our own lives for them and to be able to do that out of a heart of love, not out of compulsion or coercion, but because we love. And please help us to have wisdom in how we best love other people. And so we thank you, Heavenly Father, and pray for your help and your blessing this week. And I pray for your blessing upon each one who's watching this or listening to this. Um, I pray for your help in everything, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for watching me today or listening to me today. Um, just to let you know that if you'd like to um, express your appreciation, there is a buy me a coffee link and um, I'm sort of freelance. So, um, yeah, the, um, the link will be down below. But I do appreciate that. And I appreciate everyone who's written lovely comments and emails and, and things. I'm just um, I, I, I still I, I'm, I don't cease to be amazed by the people who get in touch and, you know, just kind of, um, uh, yeah, say how this has helped them. Because, you know, I think thinking about things in, in this way, thinking about what the Bible says about what's been happening um, is so important. And I just can't, still can't believe, really, it's so rare. Um, and also, um, if you, yeah, I just want to mention the Telegram again. I do have a Telegram if you use Telegram. And uh, all the other links, the podcast, YouTube, whatever, all down below in the description. And don't forget to do the YouTube like, subscribe, all of that stuff, um, as um, that does make a little difference with the YouTube um, algorithm. So, yeah, thanks so much, everyone. God bless you all. And I hope to see you again soon next week, um, next podcast. Um, yeah, and let me know if you've got any suggestions for topics to look at. God bless. <laughs>